This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com, 365 Sports. I'm Craig Smoke, Sikkim365 radio host, also writer on the website. Joined, as always, by Grayson Grunhafer, director of broadcasting, also team and recruiting reporter. And we come to you following a 35-23 victory for Baylor on homecoming weekend over the Kansas Jayhawks. The win now moves Baylor to 4-3. and three. It puts the Jayhawks in a little bit of limbo as far as the rest of their schedule goes. But Baylor's anything but certain uh, themselves as that 4-3 and three record will now travel to Lubbock to take on Texas Tech in what should be really a showdown based around all of the atmospheric things and not so much about the football game as much, although we'll get into the football side of it. Uh, but really seems like a game that's bigger and bigger because of when it is and where it is and against who it is and all those types of things. But, Grayson, before we dive into the Red Raiders, uh, your thoughts, uh, your feelings coming out of this past weekend and getting a win over Kansas, which we'll go over a little bit more uh, in-depth as well. Yeah, I mean, this was a big win for Baylor, obviously, just to get back in the win column. And, you know, against a pretty good Kansas team, right? We've seen Kansas have some good stretches throughout the year. They're kind of in a, a downturn right now, but they've still been competitive, still putting up points, and Baylor was able to get a win, and they need every win they can get. But I think going into this week, and I know I talked to you all on the radio about this, for me it was just about getting back to that RVO mindset and getting the culture back to where it was a year ago and running the football. And boy, boy, did they run the football. I mean, they just kept feeding Richard Reese and Quaylen Jones a little bit as well, and they just ran it and ran and ran it. And I think that was my biggest takeaway, right? Become the physical team that you were a year ago and bring that culture back, and I thought that was the biggest thing. That was at the forefront of this win against Kansas was that cultural mindset. Now, did we see some of the problems we've seen throughout the year flare up again? Yeah, we absolutely did, but it was nice to at least see the mindset get back to kind of where I think they want it to be. Yeah, it was. I mean, they ran the ball uh, really well, as you said, Uh, almost 300 yards rushing on the day, Uh, 188 of that coming from Richard Reese alone. Quaylen Jones had one of his better games. Four guys find the end zone, counting, um, you know, Kyron Drones on a keeper, Jordan Neighbors getting his first career touchdown. So 280 on the ground, 188 from Reese. I will say, though, that, like, that was a bright spot, but this game didn't feel at the end like it should have felt. It felt like they had just escaped with a win instead of they just blew Kansas's doors off and took care of business and then went about their business on homecoming, which is what they did basically the entire first half and then that second half and especially that third quarter I feel like that just left a really bad taste in people's mouths because it was like you did this all to yourself you did all of this to yourself you made this game hard close and you know nearly in doubt just all because of your own self-doing and and that's what's so frustrating I think now being seven games in and you hear Dave Aranda talk about the same he's like it's the same stuff that we've been doing that hurts us and the same stuff that helps us the same stuff that got us beaten Morgantown we did that the same stuff that won us in the Ames we did that and so they are 
Like, it's like whatever team shows up at any given moment, like, that's the way this thing's going to go, kind of. You know what I mean? And and uh, we saw the good in the first half, and we saw some of the ugly in the second half, especially that third quarter. Yeah, both teams decided to gift the other team some points because Kansas started the game. They had that 14-yard punt that led to a Baylor touchdown, and then the fumble uh, that Jackie Marshall called led to another touchdown. So immediately it was 14-0 all because of what Kansas was doing. And then you're exactly right. In the third quarter, but even before that, you know, to end the first half and then the third quarter, it just was mistakes and self-inflicted wounds and Blake Shapin continuing to turn the ball over at a very high rate these last couple weeks. Uh, that has to get fixed. He, he can't go to Lubbock and start turning the ball over the way he has been or, or else they're going to lose. You know, they're playing and simply going to lose if they don't start taking care of the ball a little bit better. And especially when Chapin's outside the pocket, I'm going to need him to start just throwing the ball away or just tucking it and taking the sack because you can't have any more of these game-changing fumbles that lead to easy points for the other team. Well, you're not going to like what Dave Aranda said so much because he he's encouraging him to get out of the pocket a bit more, I think. Um, I Wait, think Which is fine. Because they need to do it to make the offense work, right. but he's got to be smarter with the football. Exactly. So let's get into yeah. the actual game itself and just kind of roll through here. Uh, they get a three and out to start things, so that was great. Uh, turn around, have a nice touchdown drive. Real quick, like, seven plays, 41 yards in under three minutes, and uh, it is Blake shaping to Monterey Baldwin, who would get hurt again at some point and miss some time, and we don't know his status other than it's just like a game time – or not game time, but like it's a later in the week decision on whether Monterey will be available. So, you know, uh, that's just part of the deal with him. Like he's brilliant, but he's got to be available for him to matter the way that he can matter. And here, this of late – He's clearly a hit when he's out there, but he hadn't been out there a whole ton. And that's that's somebody they need this weekend. Um, and it sounds like I'd bet on him playing, but I you know, I know there's also gamesmanship and, and what he have came you. Back in. He did yeah. he did come back in after he tweaked it a little bit later in the game. So that was encouraging. Yeah. At least he could play, but we just didn't see him do anything. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's like he yeah. Um but he gets the the score on uh a nice uh, explosive play there, 17 yards, and uh, Baylor's on the board right away after a stop. Uh, they turn around, a play later, force a fumble. Great job by Jackie Marshall. A uh, big effort play from him to force and uh, recover the fumble, and that leads directly to a very quick touchdown to make it 14 to nothing. Just two plays later, you had Richard Reese with a 14-yard run getting his day really going in style and uh, his first score and uh, it's 14 to nothing um, just boom boom like that thanks to a, a nice drive a turnover and then taking advantage of the turnover and before the first quarter was up they would give up a field goal but you can argue hey they got to stop on defense and prevented the touchdown so I mean outside of three points which you definitely take over seven this was about as picture perfect of a first quarter as you could have hoped for as far as building confidence getting a lead and getting your fans into the game at home this was this was great yeah and you were driving the football before the end of the quarter as well so I mean it just was I mean up and down for Baylor they look great offensively I love the forced turnover by Jackie Marshall just such an athletic play and something we knew he had as a recruit and it finally really showed on the field. We've seen it some, but this was just awesome. You know, he stopped the play dead in its tracks, but then didn't give up on it. 
He could have easily just made the tackle, but instead he went for the football, forced the fumble. Great play, great to see from him. And, of course, Baylor taking advantage of those opportunities, right? That was the key of the beginning of this game is when they were given an opportunity, they took advantage of it. So, yes, great start. The crowd was into it. It, it was very fun atmosphere, and it seemed like this game was pretty much over from there, but uh, little did we know it was not. It should have been. It really should have been, and uh, it looked like it was on its way to that in the second quarter. The second quarter was a... a quarter defined by long drives and turnovers basically and missed opportunities really because um, it could have been 42 to 3 at halftime and instead it was 28 to 3 at halftime so 14-3 they had the ball entering the second quarter in a very lengthy drive as I mentioned long drives and this one was uh, a beauty 16 plays 73 yards 6.55 off the clock. Baylor scores to make it 21-3. to three. Uh, Just a monstrous long drive. You had some fourth down conversions. Dylan Doyle, for, Dylan Doyle, for example, picking up a fourth down. Uh, and then eventually a goal line package that we haven't seen, uh, really to my knowledge. Uh, Kyron Drums comes in and gets the keeper on back-to-back plays and is able to put it in the end zone on the second attempt. And so he gets involved. That was cool to see. It makes sense. Big body can run it a little bit and something different. And uh, it's twenty-one to three. Yeah, I want. I want to see that more. Yeah, me too. You know, and I know we're going to get into it a little bit later in this game about a specific QB sneak, and they got that first down. But in general, I would like to see Kyron drones come in in some of those short package situations because. I think what we've seen from him is he's good enough to make routine throws, right? So if you want to throw the football, you can, but he's just such a difference maker in the run game because he's so big, so strong, so powerful. I think he opens up some things when you're in fourth and one situation. So I think that could be something to to look out for as the season continues. Yeah, I think you definitely could take advantage of him being able to to toss it around a little bit and keep yeah. defenses on their heels. And I think you could really play with some minds this weekend because they definitely know that and will be thinking about that. But uh, this is where things will start to get a little wonky and still really be in Baylor's favor. But, like, this is when they should have put in some daggers. And instead, it just turned into kind of a weird remaining second quarter where by the end of it, you still felt great about their chances. But there were just little things that eventually would add up later on to this being a little – weirder than it should have been um, but they force another three and out so like 21 to three another three and out Kansas can't do anything and then here we go Blake Shapin two plays into this drive intercepted at midfield and you know like at that point you're like okay well he's gonna do that sometimes whatever excuse you know we've given um, that he's gonna just do this but I mean, I don't know, man. I'm not going to accept, like, a couple turnovers a game at this point because, like, I, I get that that's part of the deal, but, I mean, we got to be careful with the football around here. Um, and that was a terrible throw. Like, yeah, I, I mean. It, was, it hit the guy right in the chest. I, I don't know. Again, you had two receivers near each other, and that's one where, again, like, throw it away or run and slide or run out of bounds, but you can't make that throw. Like, when you're up the way that they are, you'd rather just punt the football then turn the ball over and give them good field position. So, yeah, that was a bummer to see. So, it's still fine because they go and they force another three and out. And so, it's like, hey, no harm, no foul. And they turn around and have an incredible 15-play, 99-yard drive. So, kudos to KU for down in the punt at the one. That was like the best thing they had done that half. But then Baylor and Jeff Grimes, I mean, they were really in their bag, so to speak. I mean, you already had the the lengthy drive earlier that, you know, resulted in a touchdown of 16 plays, 73 yards. And this time, 15 plays, 99 yards, 723 off the clock. Um, a bunch of just 
plays. I mean, a bunch of plays in this drive, some fourth down conversions uh, where you had Shapin hitting Monterey Baldwin on a fourth down and six to keep it going. Uh, and then eventually it was Jordan Neighbors on an end around uh, as he gets his first career score. Uh, not a player we've really mentioned all that much this year, but uh, another little wrinkle. And uh, Baylor scores, and it's 28-3. to And, I mean, they were cruising at this point, we thought. Yeah, and Neighbors almost fumbled that football yeah, on the reverse, too. But he showed his explosiveness. I'm happy to see him get on the field more. I think he should get on the field more. You can tell just the way he moves, it, it's very different, which is something we knew of him as a recruit. I will say, when Baylor got the ball on the one-yard line, I was like, this has got to be a QB sneak, right? Like, we're, we're not yeah. going to see another pitch in the back of the end zone. And immediately it was a, a QB sneak and then Quaylen right up the middle and then the throw by Shapin. But I was, I don't know about all Baylor fans, but I know I was sitting there thinking, oh, man, they're going to pitch this again, aren't they, or do something crazy. Yeah, I think everybody had that that joke in mind or that yeah. thought in mind. And, I mean, we can look back on that and laugh now, but, like, that was still a terrible call oh, yeah, in hindsight. Yeah. That was still an awful, awful call. I don't <laughs> care what they said about that. Like, that still remains probably the biggest head scratcher of you know Jeff Grimes' tenure is yeah. like what was that I mean we had an explanation and everything and I still say I don't care like yeah, that was no. still a bad call <laughs> so anyways Kansas fumbles again I mean this is again ba- Baylor basically doing whatever whenever however um, but a big fumble Devin Neal lets it go Devin Lemire and uh, Devin Neal combined excuse me Devin Neal De- had the hit yes. and Lemire picked it Lemire up, picked it yeah. up and the Devons combine for another turnover, and uh, Baylor gets the ball back right before halftime, and it's just like, party on. Yeah, returning the favor from the Iowa State game when Lemire had the hit, and it went to Neal for the interception. So that was nice to see. I was kind of shocked that that wasn't overturned. I, I, yeah. I didn't feel like it was a football move or whatnot. But, hey, happy to take it. I know Baylor was happy to take it. It's just, uh, you know, then they decided to just uh, give it right back. A couple times, because this is when everything started mm. to flip. You're up 28-3. to three. You've gotten a couple turnovers. You're basically dominating this football game. Hey, how about we just give you this gift with under a minute to go and let you go score another touchdown real yeah. quick and really pad your lead. And instead, Blake Shapin had other ideas on third and nine at the 13. So at worst, you're getting a field goal. At worst, you're getting a field goal. And I don't know. They probably would have gone for it on fourth down. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But... You know, you're you're living to fight another day, and instead Blake Shapin's intercepted at the four-yard line, just killing anything. Right. I will give him one pass because on the play earlier, Ben Sims should have caught a touchdown yes. hit him right in the hands, and no, he was yeah. wide open. So that should have been a touchdown. On this one, though, I know people are going to say Gavin Holmes dropped another pass. This throw was behind Gavin Holmes. That would have been a very tough catch to make. It hit off Gavin and then conveniently bounced right into a KU player's lap. So unfortunate should have been a touchdown for shaping but then you got to throw that away and you can't turn the ball over again man i mean yeah it's the same thing and i mean that's on receiver and quarterback but that throw's got to be more accurate yeah and i'm glad you mentioned sims i almost skipped over that that was a yeah. touchdown that was a great play call and that ruined the next play yep. but like yeah you still can't follow up and turn it right over when you you know and ben sims you have to make that catch i don't want to harp on that he knows that he knew it in the post game but like you have to make that i mean you just cannot do that great throw um, by shaping like it it was Perfect yeah, play. that yeah. you cannot do that. Um, and if that had been a close game, like that could have cost them the football mm-hmm. game, honestly. Um, so that was just a whole bad deal all the way around. You know, Kansas doesn't score because there wasn't enough time to, but there's, you know, a couple of turnovers when you could have padded your lead further and like, oh, it's whatever, it's 28 to 3, man. Who cares? And it's like, okay, uh, halftime. Cool. Out of halftime. 11-play drive ends in a fumble as Blake Shapin, uh, down in Kansas territory once again, 
uh, gets sack stripped uh, and drops the ball on the turf, and KU picks it up and nearly runs it all the way back for a score. Um, very similar to the West Virginia game, except for West Virginia actually scored on the play. KU didn't let the opportunity go to waste. They'd score a couple plays later. Um, but either way, just a bad deal all the way around because you've avoided, like, you've turned it over, but you've avoided, like, paying for it. But this is, I mean, your crowd's into it. They're loving it. Everything's going well. And it's like you start off the half by dropping it in the red zone and then them returning it and then basically setting up their score. I just, it's 28 to 10 at that point, but it was just like, here we go. And sure enough, man, that third quarter was just a freaking nightmare, man. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier, you know, the whole Blake shape and thing. I, I do get what Aranda's saying, like him outside the pocket. Yes. He makes throws outside the pocket, but it was second and two at the Kansas 27. <laughs> you throw the ball away. You're surviving another down. And the way they were running the football, you're telling me they're not getting two yards on two plays? No, they are. And so you have to – he just has got to be smarter in certain situations. You're not going to get away from every tackle. You're not going to score a touchdown every single time you get outside the pocket. Sometimes you have to know the situation. And in that situation, that needed to be a throwaway. It absolutely did. You're up 28-3. to three. The only thing – that can kill you in that situation is turning the ball over and letting them score a touchdown the very next play. So it's just something that has to get corrected because it's two weeks in a row now that this has happened. So they had the ball for six minutes and 18 seconds, uh, fumble it away, and then Kansas scores in a little over a minute. And then you get the ball back and you have it uh, for another four minutes and it results in a punt. So the third quarter, you had the ball for over 10 minutes you came away with zero points, and KU outscored you seven to nothing. Yeah, like that's just awful. Yeah, I mean, that's really just bad. awful. And uh, as a result, it's twenty-eight to ten going into the fourth quarter. But like they're up eighteen, and it felt like they were losing the football game practically based on the way the crowd was. Because it's just like you just took all the air out. And um, I understand that being up eighteen probably should still be loud and into it and everything. But it's just like it just. I don't know. This team just feels sort of disjointed sometimes, and it was just one of those sequences where you're just like, like they'll probably still win, but like, hopefully they still win right. because you just like don't know. There was they had all the momentum in, in Jayhawks' favor at that point. Yeah, and Aranda mentioned they just continue to not put together complete performances. It, it's yes. very much one half at a time, one quarter at a time, and so yeah, this was bad. Isaac Power had a great punt, so I wanted to give him a nice shout out. That was down inside the five, and. But the more you were seeing that, the more you were like, okay, KU has found some rhythm. They're going to be able to drive the football, and they're Did going they? to be able to put up some points, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, fourth quarter, uh, first score, fourth quarter turns into like a shootout, basically, um, and that's right up KU's alley as they cap an 11-play, 95-yard drive uh, in a little over four minutes to make it 28-16, to 16, touchdown KU, 11 plays, 95 yards, um, they're no good on the two-point conversion attempt, so there at least was that. But then Baylor gets the ball back, and they're still up 12 points, and it's early in the fourth quarter. They 10 plays, 68 yards, like exactly what you want. They take five minutes off the clock. Surely this ended well, but nope, it ended on fourth and one and getting stopped, and I know we're about to dive into this. And I had somebody comment, well, Shapin got it, and I'm like, you can't leave it in the hands of the officials. Like, I understand, but, you know, like, this should never have been this close. And, you know, unfortunately, there was a bang-bang play here. But, yes, this drive ends all the way down to the uh, 
Kansas seven yard line, shaping a bad spot, bad call, whatever you want to call it, fourth and one, trying to sneak it, gets stopped, depending on who you ask, but depending on the people whose only opinion matters, the people in charge of the officiating, they said he was short. Baylor turns it over on downs now at the seven yard line, and it's 28 16, and KU's got the ball back with a lot of time left, and it's just like, man. And it was about to get worse here in just a second because KU turns around, eight plays, 93 yards. So 95 and 93-yard drives back-to-back the defense gives up. Touchdown KU. They're within five at this point. And, uh, man, it's just at this stage, it was – I was sitting there thinking, like, this might be the worst Baylor loss I've ever seen. Like, I really – I was thinking, like, how how am I even going to approach talking about this game? Right. And uh, I just was like, you know what? Let's see how it plays out. I'm not going to waste time thinking about the worst. But it, it crossed my mind at that point, 28-23. And, and it is very different than, like, the Baylor-Oklahoma game when Jalen Hurts led them back because that Baylor offense in the second half was inept. They weren't moving the ball like this. Like, Baylor just moving the ball the whole game and just simply not being able to capitalize and not being able to not shoot themselves in the foot. They just kept on doing it consistently. The QB sneak call, it it was the right call. Like, I'm not going to argue that. The result is what you need to be different, and I know the spot and everything like that, but they've had so much success with QB sneaks, it's hard to question that call. My one question I do have is, you know, Kyron had been able to move the pile a little bit at quarterback, and if you were going to do a sneak, you know, maybe you put him in and allow him to sneak it, and maybe that's something they do in the future. But very unfortunate there. Like you said, KU drives down the field and scores again. Once again, this defense, like you said, those two long drives, you can't give that up. I know they've been playing so good all game, but you still cannot give up long drives like that for touchdowns. Secondary had some issues. The Skinner touchdown was just a complete mishap between Morgan and uh, whoever the corner was on that play. I think it was Lorando. Um, but yeah, just really unfortunate. Now they're right back in the game, and now you're asking Baylor to just basically do what you've been doing the whole game, but actually get points this time. Yeah. Yep, so 95 and 93-yard drives back-to-back. This game was 28-3 to at halftime. It could have been 35 or 42-3. to um, And here you are in the fourth quarter, and it's all of a sudden a five-point ball game. Like, that's just, you know, I mean, that just drains you as a, as a fan. And so, like, the crowd was just like, it's like every time they wanted to get back into it, it's just like it just got stripped away. And it's just, you, everybody was just kind of sitting there, like, waiting for something, anything yep. to happen. Except for the you know the worst, and the worst was kind of starting to perk up a little bit. It felt like, but fortunately, uh, they're finally able to string a drive together and score some points in the second half. Their only points of the second half, mind you, came with just a few minutes to go in the fourth quarter after being up twenty-eight to three at halftime. Uh, this was the Richard Reese show. This was the Coylan Jones side show. This was the running game show. This drive basically seven plays, sixty-nine yards in a little less than four minutes, and Richard Reese scores from two yards out on a third straight carry as he really became like the bell cow, the bell cow from Belleville, trademark. Um, And they go up 35 to 23. And for all intents and purposes, even though there was like a brief amount of time left, this this capped the the game finally, mercifully, thankfully. Um, It was great performance for Richard Reese, um, but they score there. KU turns it over on downs. Baylor wins the game 35-23, moved to 4-3, moved to 2-2 in Big 12 play. 
uh, but just way too close for comfort there in the second half. Um, and, uh, you know, really a dominant win, but it just didn't feel or look that way by the end of it because of how that third quarter and a good chunk of that fourth quarter ended up going for you. So big win, much-needed win. All that was great. Just just uh, the style in which it was accomplished uh, left a little little be desired for yeah, sure. Yeah, this could have easily been one of those 56 to 17 easily. type wins. Yep. Um, if Baylor just took advantage of this, the chances they were given and if they wouldn't turn the ball over and do things that are self-destructive to themselves, which they've been doing all year. So at what point do we say this is just who they are? Like, yeah. when do we get to that point where it's just like, oh, they're going to do this all year? Or are they actually going to turn a corner with that? I'm there already. You're there. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm. This is who they are. I mean, okay. I think it's very clear. We're seven games in at this point. I think they can play a better, cleaner game. Mm-hmm. But as far as like who they are, this is who they are. I mean, they've been Jekyll and Hyde all year, and I don't really see much reason to believe they're not going to be that some more. Um, the okay. rest of the, I mean, the schedule's getting tougher. Um, in theory, the rest of the way. So, um, I, I don't know why. Unless this game just unlocked the the. Finally, the puzzles in their mind of, oh, wow, if we don't, like, kill ourselves over and over again, like, we could probably have some fun here. (laughs) But we just can't stay out of our own way time and time again. Um, You'd think that they'd understand that by now, but then understanding and going and executing is asking, you know, two different things, so... I mean, it's it's a lot easier said than done, obviously, but yeah, this is this is who they are. I mean, I every every example we've been given is this is who they are in in wins and in losses. It's pretty much the same formula. It's just whether or not they're able to overcome however many mistakes there are along the way, and and how they're able to separate or not separate uh, as a result of that. Yeah, I mean, because when you put up numbers like they did in this game, it, it really shouldn't be that close. I, You know, I really do feel like they're going to turn a corner with this whole bad luck. Do you even call it bad luck? Or is, again, no. or is this just in your DNA at some point? That's I think where I'm struggling. I think shaping two weeks in a row, fumbling inside the mm-hmm. you know red zone when they're knocking the door. Throwing I mean, interceptions, throwing yeah. interceptions, you know, turning it over deep or giving up ninety yard plus drives. I mean, that's all pretty regular mm-hmm. at this point. I mean, those have happened on more than a few occasions now and and of late. So, yeah, I mean, I I I maintain they are a team that could be like on paper ten game winners and Big Twelve champions, and they have all of the capabilities of doing that in my mind. So, in theory, they could run the rest of the way undefeated. But based on how they actually go and then play, um, I don't believe that they'll go undefeated, and I believe they'll drop at least one more game, and I think it's going to be probably some more herky-jerk football with some shades of like, oh, this is them at their best, kind of like in that first Mm -hmm. half, but then shades of the second half. Because, again, that's just kind of who they've been the entire time. Yeah, so a few nuggets that I just wanted to point out really quick. Uh, They allowed 2.5 yards per carry to Kansas, only 56 rushing yards. Truly dominant performance by the defensive line and just in the run game in general. They really stuffed Kansas from running the football, and this is a really good Kansas running team. Like, they turn around, they hand the ball off, and they have ran on everyone they've played this year. And Baylor did not allow that. So good to see them rebound from the West Virginia game that was just a complete, um, I don't even know how to explain that. But yeah, 56 yards, that was great. Also, they got Khalil Keith back for about 50% of the snaps this week. He and Gavin Byers were rotating. 
it's very clear when he's on the field, he's a difference maker. And so if they can get that up to 70, 75% this week versus Tech, I think that could be huge for them. Yeah, um, he made a difference. It yeah, was very huge. obvious he made a difference. Yeah, when they were running off that right side, it was like the holes were just massive. Um, he's a difference maker, and he's not even in shape yet. So as he gets more in shape, I, I think he's going to be a problem uh, for teams trying to stop this rushing attack. Um, yeah, so that, that those were kind of the main things. Baylor had time of possession for, for 40 minutes. Yeah, just crazy that this game was as close as it was, but great to see them bounce back. I will say, though, the one negative was their passing game. Uh, Shapen, Shapen struggled, and it's really tough to see because he played so well against West Virginia as far as when he wasn't turning the ball over. He played so well, so efficiently, but in this one, he was just a little bit off, and it led to turnovers. It led to a couple miscues here and there, um, so he needs to rebound because they're going to need him to be better than 164 yards for a touchdown with three turnovers this weekend. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Um, the whole take three thing that resides in Lubbock now, and they, you know, it's a mod- it's, it's actually Joey McGuire's license plate. Seriously, so yeah, they're going to be looking for turnovers and um, probably feasting their chops. You're licking their chops watching some of the the recent game tape because Baylor has been shaping in particular very loosey goosey with the football, and that'll get you beat in in Lubbock, no doubt about it. So. Uh, yeah, great win. I mean, you know, just great to get a win. Um, awesome to see Khalil Keith back. Run game was terrific, but uh, also some, you know, good drives defensively, especially in that first half. But then basically everything in the second half was just kind of nightmare fuel and yeah. the worst version of the best version that we saw earlier. So going to have to clean some things up, no doubt about that. Um, but, I mean, this kind of just saying this team's fully capable of beating anybody they're fully capable of beating themselves and and that's just it's just what who's going to show up basically and that's the hard part to predict quite frankly um so now it's on to Texas Tech uh good news is this game doesn't matter a whole lot to Tech they're only doing a blackout on Saturday night they've only invited Patrick Mahomes back for Hall of Fame honors uh and uh, blackout like I said Halloween weekend. Halloween weekend, sold out crowd, national television audience. I mean, outside of that, though, um, you know, it's it's just another game. Um, But clearly this means a great deal to Texas Tech. This is like the biggest game they've hosted in a long time. It's the biggest game Joey McGuire's hosted, bar none. And this game means a lot to him and to many of his people on that staff. It's funny when I see Texas Tech fans, mind you, there are, you know, Dim bulbs in every fan base. Uh, but I see some of the vitriol being spewed, and it's like, how many former Baylor coaches are on staff right now in, yeah. in Lubbock? Like, not only just the head coach that you hired from Baylor, mind you, you know, as you talk about the culture and all of these other things in Waco, but, like, the head recruiting guy, the personnel guy, the football ops guy, yeah. like... <laughs> Two former Baylor players who played on those teams that you love yeah. to run down. Offensive line as well. The with offensive Cochran. line, a former yeah. assistant. Like, basically your entire <laughs> football team is the culture that's been in Waco post the stuff you like to talk about, post Jet Duffy, which you f- seem to forget about. But please continue to spew. Yeah. Like, it's just... It's they just, should be thanking Baylor. <laughs> it's just... It's, it'd be one thing if you didn't have, like... 90% of your football stuff driven by Baylor guys at this yeah. point or guys who are at Baylor within the last three years, but that's the case, and that is where all the excitement comes from is from the guys who were in Waco last year. Yeah. So it's just to hear about, like, culture, this and it's like 
that's where it came from, right. you morons. But again, not dealing with the brightest bulbs all the time, but just just like of all the years to make those those arguments, like this is the one where there's the most crossover by far. So, anyways, uh, Texas Tech. This game means a great deal. Joey McGuire um, wanted to be the Baylor head coach. Uh, before he wanted to be the Texas Tech head coach, and Dave Aranda got the job. Uh, and Joey McGuire stuck around. Not everybody would have until he got the Texas Tech job and then ended up taking a bunch of guys with him, and here we are. And uh, this is the first meeting, and it was technically a meeting last year, but McGuire was not present or involved. I don't uh, know about that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I was going to say, I don't know about that, but, you know, in theory, he wasn't involved just yet. Yeah. Um, and Tech, you know, nearly ruined their, the party and instead missed a big field goal in last year's game. Jonathan Garibay is, like, basically perfect to that point. Misses a field goal that would have sent the game to overtime in Waco. Baylor wins. And Baylor goes to the Big 12 title game and wins that and goes to the Sugar Bowl and wins that. So that's the last time we crossed paths with Tech and Joey McGuire. Uh, but obviously this game's going to have some personal meaning to it. Tech and Baylor are in the exact same spot as far as their record goes and, and where they are in the Big 12, 4-3, and 2-2. Two and, two. Um, and Tech, really, their, their whole story is uh, they're really good or they're better when they're at home and they have the home crowd behind them. And they go on the road and they've lost every game they've played on the road. So this game's at AT&T Stadium or Jones AT&T on Saturday night, Halloween weekend, Patrick Mahomes weekend. I mean, they're going to be juiced to the gills, and uh, that's really what I worry about more than anything personnel-wise or any of that jazz is the atmosphere and just that overcoming um, the actual skill and just, you know, kind of like Provo or Morgantown, this team not being able to, to capture its bearings and execute. That, that's my concern going into this one. Yeah, I mean, Tech is undefeated at home. And winless on the road. So you're exactly right. They are a very different team when they're at home. Um, you know, you're right about Baylor with the BYU, you know, game and the West Virginia game struggling at night. But as Aranda said as well, the Kansas game, like that was still the same stuff they were doing in those games. So yeah. it's not really just a road thing, but it is a, it, it the, the is, road matters. It, and yeah. it has. It has. You know, we saw last year against Oklahoma State, against TCU, both those games that they lost were on the road. So it has mattered. Um I will say, you know, they did win in Ames this year. So they have gone on the road and won a game. So now in this environment, which is probably going to be very similar to the BYU environment, I would anticipate. Everyone talks about how that game was raucous. This one might even be another level from that even. Um, so I'm very curious how they handle that. They need to kind of do that thing where they bring the culture on the road with them and they're, they're able to go on the road and still have that culture, still have that it factor. Um, and really, I, I mean, majority of this game is going to come down to who the more physical team is. Uh, I think, I think both these teams are going to be jacked up for this game and excited for this game. Um, but which one can be more physical and more consistent, I think is going to be the winner of this game. Um, but yeah, so let, let's dive into tech for a little bit here. Yeah, um, I definitely think they're going to try to punch Baylor are. in the mouth and be the more physical team. And then I think they're going to try to run them off the field and get them tired defensively. I think mm -hmm. Joey McGuire is scared of that D-line because he knows what they're capable of. Ika yeah. in particular, I think everybody's on alert for him. And they don't run the ball very well, tech. So yeah. this is going to be them like really trying to, to, to hit the gas. But let's get into it. Baron Morton's their starting quarterback mm -hmm. basically at this point. We could probably still see Donovan Smith. And Tyler Shuck's and back. And Tyler Shuck's back. But Baron Morton's pretty much the guy for all intents and purposes. They're going to run 100 plays a game. 
uh, at least the last two weeks, especially, or any indication, and uh, take it from there. Yeah, Zach Kitley, their uh, quarterback or their uh, offense coordinator and quarterback coach, he is a uh, a, a very good offense coordinator. He did that at uh, Western Kentucky and Houston Baptist. He's a very, very good coach. Um, and he's a guy who I think has brought a little bit of a flair to their offense uh, that had been missing over the past few years. And you're seeing just this gambling style of football as well. They they go for it on fourth down a ton. They have trust in what they do, and they're going to just continue to take chances and take risks. And for the most part, a lot of teams haven't been able to stop them from converting on fourth down. But those that have, have had a lot of success against Tech. So that's going to be a huge area to watch. We know Baylor will go for it on fourth down as well. But you're exactly right. Baron Morton, their starting quarterback, uh, 886 yards passing, 63% completion percentage, five touchdowns, three interceptions. Uh, but in his two starts over the last two weeks against Oklahoma State and West Virginia, he only has one interception. And that's been key for them because Donovan Smith was turning it over at a very high rate early in the year. Teams were able to take advantage of that. Uh, now with Morton, that has shifted. And if you look at it, Tech only has one turnover the last over the last two weeks. Baylor has seven. Um, so a trend or something that can be can be fixed. We'll see. We'll see on that. Um, as far as their other options, like you said, their run game, not great. But I do like, you know, Taj Brooks is a pretty good running back. It can be capable. effective. It's yeah. just not they're, they're not going to go run you over to win a football Definitely game. Yeah. yeah, they run for, I think it's about 136 yards per game. So it's okay. Not great, though. They've really ran that up on some of the you know, weaker teams they played earlier in the year. I expect Baylor to shut that down. Uh, Baylor should not be giving up more than like 100 yards rushing, I think, in this game. But the area that you have to watch out for, of course, is Tech throwing the football. Tech averages 364 yards passing per game. They have weapons at wide receiver, and they spread it out. They do not care who catches the football. They got, you know, Xavier White has 400 yards receiving, but then they got... Miles Price, Jaron Bradley, Trey Cleveland, all over 300 yards, and two more guys over 200 yards. So they throw it all around the place. They're going to throw it to whoever's open, and they're going to scheme a lot. You're going to see some screens. You're going to see some uh, trickery at some points, and you're going to have to be ready for that. The good news is Baylor's been able to take care of screens pretty effectively, uh, but what really is going to hurt them is those coverages when Baylor's running zone coverage. We saw Spencer Sanders really dice them up in zone. Um, so I'm very curious how they come out in this one because I think Tech would have some success attacking the soft spots in Baylor's zone coverage, especially if Baylor is not getting pressure on the quarterback, which they haven't at all up to this point in the year. Yeah, the, um, you talk about like things we've settled in on. I'm settled in on they're not getting into pass rush. That's going to be uh, anywhere near effective enough uh, because if they're going to, it's where was it for seven games? <laughs> so, yeah, I don't have a lot of faith in, in that suddenly emerging and becoming a, a thing, especially against a quick offense like this, that they're going to just be all in the backfield, probably very unlikely. Yeah, the one thing that could help them is if you put them into third and long situations because when you do that, Baron Morton does have a tendency to hold onto the football a little bit longer, try to run around a little bit. You might have some opportunities there, but you're right. In large part, when Baylor's running their base defense, they really have not done a great job at – winning one-on-one -on -one up front and getting pressure with their defensive line. And I know a lot of people have talked about, oh, well, they're mainly just there stopping the run and creating gaps for the linebackers. That's great and all, but when you get in third-down situations, there are opportunities to win one-on-one -on -one battles and get a sack. 
and Baylor has not been able to do that consistently. Oh, uh, yeah, just staying back and staying in their base and all that sounds like a great way to give up back-to-back 95- and 93-yard yeah. drives. So, yeah, that's a cool idea and all, and maybe it's effective at times, but there's clearly times where it's screaming, get pressure on the quarterback for God's mm-hmm. sakes, or else he's just going to sit back there and pick apart your secondary. And, well, I think we saw that a few times, uh, not only in the last game, but in previous games. So, yeah, I, I understand that to an extent, but at some point you got to rattle and get to the quarterback and at least make them think twice about what they're doing back there. Right. Maybe that's just me. But. Right. Offensively also, you know, Tech's third in passing yards, but they're also 69th in passing efficiency. A lot of that has to do with accuracy problems, turnover problems, and the amount of times they throw the football versus how many yards they're actually gaining when they throw the football. So that's something to keep an eye on. I think Baylor can make them inefficient passing uh, the ball, and if you're able to do that, you have a great chance to beat them because, again, I don't think they're going to be able to run it. So they're really going to be relying on Baron Morton's arm, relying on the crowd, and relying on maybe some busted coverages by this Baylor defense, which we saw on the road just, what, two weeks ago in Morgantown. Yeah, I mean, they're going to get theirs offensively. I mean, you just got to stem the tide as much as you can in certain places. And, and yeah, if you could, you know, disrupt, steal a possession here and there, that'd be obviously great. I mean, getting turnovers obviously are a big deal. It's kind of the tale of Baylor when they get them or not, you know, or give them away. It's kind of like, we're, look where the wins and losses come from. And, you know, like last week they were able to to get a couple to at least offset some of the ones that they, they gave to Kansas, although – Still very costly, the ones that they, they gave to Kansas. But, yeah, I mean, Tech's going to – they're going to do some stuff on offense. I think that's very clear. Uh, but what can Baylor do offensively? That's where I think the big key in this this really lies. Yeah, so, I mean, Tech right now is 55th in the country uh, in rushing yards allowed. Um, and that's skewed a little bit because last week they only gave up like 77 yards to West Virginia because they got up so big. So West Virginia went away from running the football. Um, but if you really dive into the numbers, if, if Baylor really turns around and establishes the run, they will have opportunities to run the football in tech. Um, tech is not an elite defense by any means. They give up um, some big running lanes and there will be opportunities. I mean, Oklahoma State only had 137 yards rushing, but they had 297 yards passing. So essentially what you're probably going to see from Tech in this game, in my eyes, is they're going to do everything they can to force Blake Shapin to have to throw the football and try to somewhat take away the run game. So I think the number really is, I mean, if Baylor gets to 200 yards rushing, they're winning this game. If they get to 150, they have a shot. If they get to 175, they should be able to win. That's kind of my thought process going in. Because if they're able to do that, I think they're taking away what Tech is trying to stop. And in that situation, that's when you're kind of breaking a defense a little bit. And you, that should allow Blake Shapin to have some opportunities to throw the ball downfield a little bit, complete some easier passes, and move the chains with ease. So that's kind of the area. that That's the matchup right there is can Tech force Baylor to be in these third and long situations where they make Blake Shapin really uncomfortable? Uh, if they can't, then they're probably going to have some issues against this Baylor offense, um, throwing the ball and running the ball. Uh, Tech. Tech will give it up both ways. They give up 355 yards of total offense. So uh, they'll give up some yards, and they're going to give Baylor some chances to move the ball and put up some points. That That is 100% for sure. Yeah, I mean, they are um, a feisty team, and they are going to, to be as physical as they can possibly be. Um, but if Baylor matches that, man, I think that that really takes some steam out, like, right out of the gates. I mean, because that's what they are kind of hinging on. Like, I think if you ask Joey McGuire, Joey McGuire knows that Baylor is more – 
experienced and probably more talented overall. Um, I just get the the sense that, like, he he kind of was saying in his interview with Smokey, like, well, you know, they've got like all those fifth and sixth year guys on the offensive line that normally wouldn't be there. He's talking about like the COVID year and how that did, and like really giving Baylor a lot of credit for all that they have experienced. And he's right, like having all these six year guys, but like. That just it stuck with me that he kind of focused in on that, and that you know that's an area that that should be a strength and should be able to to be a, a positive for you going into this game. So yeah, I think if they can just, it's easier said than done dealing with the crowd, but if they can just not hyperventilate, and they can smack back when Tech tries to smack them early on, and go like, no no no, we're not going to walk in here and just get rattled. If they can just look them eye to eye and say, no, this is going to be equal footing fight. Then. You kind of take away all of the, you rip the costume off, and all of the, oh my God, it's Saturday night, and it's Patrick Mahomes, and like, like that's the stuff they gotta, like, get out of the way, and if they can just get out of the way and just go like, this is just a football game. I think they can go in there and just go toe to toe swinging with Texas Tech, but if they get overwhelmed by the turnover and the crowd gets into it and all of the, ch- you know, chance or tortillas flying or whatever the case may be, and and they get overwhelmed. That's when Tech all of a sudden just blitz you, and they're up, you know, fourteen on you, and then you're like scrambling. Yeah, that's I agree. that's what I fear. So I, they just they got to go in there, man, just focused, and just block all the nonsense mm-hmm. out. Uh, just get rid of it, and it's like ripping the scary costume off, yep. and just like it's just another person right there, it's another team right there, and you're just as good, and you're probably better than them. But the outside factors are what can swing this thing one way or the other for sure and I, I mentioned this to Garrett a little bit earlier we talked about how Oklahoma State circled the Baylor game BYU circled the Baylor yep. game Tech circled the Baylor game oh yeah but but sure. I think you know this is the first game where I think we're also seeing here and going yeah but Baylor also circled this game I hope so and I think the TCU game is going to be like that too and probably you know the Texas game at the end of the year but I just think that there are certain games that maybe some teams circle. This definitely was one for Baylor, and I'm expecting them to have a very nice performance. Really quick, though, I mentioned the run game. I mentioned how important that's going to be. To be clear, Texas ran for 150 yards, 5 yards per carry. Um, Kansas State ran for 343 yards, Mm -hmm. 8.8 yards per carry. Those are the two best performances against this tech run defense other teams were you know 111 yards 137 yards uh, 87 yards so they've been pretty good against other teams outside of those two I would say that Baylor's offensive line Baylor's run game is more similar to those two so that's kind of where I'm at if they can get to 200 yards and do kind of what you're saying where they go in there they take out all the noise they turn around they hand the ball off they're able to get five yards per carry and then able to get shaped into easier throwing situations, I think that really alleviates a lot of the stress um, that you can have with going on the road and being in an environment like that. I, I think running the football and in the trenches, that travels, and that needs to travel this weekend. All right, uh, ready for the mailbag here? Let's do it. Uh, Doc Crow, what element of tech-style matchup versus Baylor gives you pause on both sides of the ball? Yeah, so for me, uh, their passing game – especially against Baylor's pass defense. It gives me pause because of the fact that Baylor runs a lot of zone, or at least they have. Um, And Tech will just take those five-yard throws. They'll just take them and take them and take them and just bleed you to death by just completing these quick throws and getting first downs. And I think you could get in a situation, this has happened to Baylor a couple times this year, where it's, you know, third and four. And it's a completion at three yards, and the guy falls forward and gets first down. And you could see that, you know, five or six times, and it could get really kind of devastating for the Baylor defense. So 
that's one thing that definitely gives me pause uh, for Tech offensively. On the defensive side, I think it's more so their aggressive mindset, especially in the secondary. They're trying to force turnovers. They're trying to, uh, you know, grab and push and press cover your receivers. And I'm curious if the Baylor receivers are going to be up for that because uh, that definitely gives me pause about that style. Uh, yeah, uh, same here. What does Baylor need to do to lock down most of all? Who does Baylor need oh. to lock down most of all? Excuse me. Um, I don't. Who does Baylor need to lock down? Aaron Morton. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't even. Yeah, it's not really one specific guy, but not. I guess it's. I guess the pass game. So I guess it would be Baron Morton. If you want someone that's more, I guess specific. Um, you know, I personally think their kind of most dangerous receiver is Jaron Bradley, just because he's got so much size on the outside. So I guess I'll go with him if you're looking for like an individual matchup. Yeah, I think this is less about individuals and more about uh, just the scheme and team yeah. and and playing yourself in a lot of ways. Um, that's that's been Baylor's worst opponent all year has been themselves. But uh, yeah, there's not like a there's not a Des Bryant or you know like a I don't know why his name can't be Big Twelve yeah. star receivers, but there's not like that guy or a Michael Crabtree. Like they don't have Michael Crabtree. They have a bunch of pretty good receivers that could be dangerous if you allow them to be. Uh, how did men's basketball fare in the secret scrimmage versus LSU? Uh, I have no idea. I heard I heard they did good. I, okay. I don't know any specifics, but I heard, I based on what I've heard so far, I think they won and fairly easily as well. Okay, uh, Bearcats. How do we approach this game defensively? We know Tech's going to play at a very fast pace and throw the ball a lot. Do we change up anything defensively or play a similar style of coverage in the secondary? Yeah, I, I think that you're going to see a similar style of coverage, but I will also say I don't think Baylor's very scared of Tech running the football, and that's something that's a little unique. Kansas, I know people want to say stuff about Kansas and say they're not a good offense or say it's still Kansas, but Kansas can absolutely run the football, and I think Baylor went into that game saying, hey, we need to take away the run game and force them to throw the football. I think in this one, it's a little bit different. I think Baylor might be able to drop more guys in coverage because I think they'll feel good enough about their defensive front to slow down Tech running football. Uh, let's see here. Scotty B, the Baylor King, which quarterback for Tech scares you the least? My guess would be Tyler Shuck because he hasn't played a lot this year due to injury, but Joey isn't going to say a certain name will start. Yeah, it's definitely Donovan Smith because he'll give you two or three turnovers every time he steps on the field. He scares me the least because he's he's a turnover machine, or at least he has been. Yeah, I mean, he can be dangerous if, like, you're trying to tackle him and he's a, he's a big body and, you know, trying to stop him on a short game. Like, he if he, he, he starts to feel it. He's really dangerous because he's big and physical. Yeah. He's got a strong arm and all, all that. But if you get him in just a normal situation, that all goes away because, yeah, he will turn it over. So, yeah, I'd say Donovan Smith. And Shuck's just a wild card but experienced. And then Morton's obviously the guy. Um, if Baylor wants to win the game, which two or three players offensively and defensively will step up the most? Yeah, um, you know, offensively, it needs to be shaping. It needs to start with shaping. Um, he's got to play better, uh, and he's got to play really well. I don't even think I need to name more than that offensively. Uh, I mean, obviously, you'd want Ben Sims to play well. Richard Reese is going to have to have a good game. I guess those are a couple others. But overall, it's Blake Shapin. 
Uh, Blake, Blake has to play a lot better in this one. Defensively, I really think this is a game where you need guys like Al Walcott, Devin Lemire, Lorando Johnson to play really, really good football in the secondary because I think ultimately we know Baylor should have an advantage in the trenches. But in the secondary, when Morton's standing back there looking for receivers, are you going to be able to force a turnover here and there? Are you going to be able to get a pass breakup on fourth down? That's going to be key. And so those are three guys that I think could impact the game in that way. 1964 bear why is our pass rush so different from last year uh but this also goes you kind of answer your question right after that do we have anyone that can do what petrie did last year uh no yeah. <laughs> there's there's a big reason why the pass rush isn't where it was last year is you kind of answered it yourself there's no Jalen petrie for one yeah, or Terrell bernard both were very yeah. active getting after the quarterback last year i also think just in general the defensive line those guys haven't been getting as many sacks or getting in the backfield as consistently so i, I mean why i think why is more so just the the individuals haven't taken another step and it's also what Baylor's base defense has been doing the emphasis hasn't been on getting a pass rush but again that doesn't mean that they shouldn't get any sacks ever um if that makes sense I I, this defense was not meant to to have the same results I don't think as last year's as far as sacks go I think they were supposed to get done in a different way yeah, and your secondary is entirely different yeah. as well. So it's not like you've got them locking up everybody mm-hmm. in the. Although I mean, there's plenty of times a quarterback is sitting back there for like 20 seconds and nobody touches him. Right. Um. So the secondary is in theory doing their job, and there's still no pass rush, and that's mm-hmm. where I think the frustration is. Is like that can't be strategy no. of like, you know, we're covering everybody. We're just gonna let him sit back there though for 10 seconds, and then you know he throws it away or it's an incomplete or it's a completion. But like, you, where is the pass rush? I mean, that is a good question. Um, especially rushing four. Like, there were times when Bean staying in the pocket and Baylor rushed there. four. Because yeah. like, in 2019, we saw it all the time because they only rushed three. So it was just Roy Lynch. And, yeah, they got sacks at times, but it was the, oh, he'd stand in the pocket. But you got all those guys dropped back. This is Baylor with four guys rushing. Uh, it's just yeah. different. And, no, there isn't anyone like Petrie, but I do think Al Walcott in the year could play at a much higher level. Hopefully we see it. We'll see. I, I, you know, it's tough to say he'll be Petrie, but I think he can make a bigger impact than he has. Yeah, I think he's probably, you know, one of the closest to that. I would just say, though, with like this, hopefully by the end of the year and all this stuff, it's the end of the year. Like, I mean, we're getting there. It's the, the last month is in one week's time. Yeah. The last month of the year in one week. So, I mean, the end of the year and by the end of it, and like Aranda's talking about like the work in progress, and I get all that, man. There's still five games left to go. It's a marathon, not a sprint and everything, but it's like, yeah, but you look up and there's five games left. Like, there's only five, and there'll be four in a matter of days' time. So, like, you know, you know, keep saying that with like a game to go, like we'll eventually figure it out. Like, well, there's no games to figure it out for. So there are some young guys who I know he's saying could take a step. I think for next year and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. With Al, it's more so since he's had the cast off, he's had some chances where the balls hit him in the hands and he's been around the football. And so you're hoping that instead of it being a tip, it ends up being a pick or instead of it being a missed sack because he had a cast on, it ends up being a sack. So little things like that. For him specifically, just because he had a cast for half the year. Yeah, and I'm not singling out a rant. I mean, I know he's talking in some cases about guys that beyond this season, what they're going to grow yeah. into and everything. But, like, you know, when we do talk about this team, everybody acts like sometimes I feel like everybody acts like there's still like 10 games left. It's like, no, there's not. They're almost done now. So, like, this whole kicking it in thing, like, kind of has to happen right now if it's going to matter at all. Um, what should C, what should uh, CDA do, Dave Aranda, if Shapen continues to fumble and or throw interceptions? 
I mean, he seems to be the guy, but if he costs them, you know, another game or two by turning the ball over, I mean, you might have to look at playing Kyron. I mean, I hate to say it. Shapin is their guy, and they have all the confidence in him, and we've seen that, but, like, he can't have another performance where in this Kansas game, like, if they lost and then they lost to Tech and then they lost to Oklahoma and he's turned the ball over at this rate, I mean, it's hard to play a guy who's turning it over as much as he has. Yeah, if he fumbles again, like, you got to have some serious talks about ball security. I think they probably already had that. Uh, I don't know. There's not a specific answer yeah. to your question. Um, it would have to be a bad performance and a couple fumbles and, you know, scoop and score given up and they lose the game and all of that. And then let's have that conversation then. But, I mean, until then, like – no point speculating on what he he's might. Guy. Yeah, yeah, he's he's the starting quarterback. And there's not a question about it. Uh, injury report: Who's out for the Texas Tech game? Uh, Tay McWilliams is the only one for sure right now. Um, yeah, the other one, Squirrel Williams, is a uh, we'll see. And uh, who else? Um, did he say anything on Cole? I would expect no. him to maybe be out as well. He no, I mean you basically have to ask him directly who yeah. the person is, and the one person who always asks the injury question asks about like five guys at once, right. and it's just the same guys: Tay, it's Squirrel, and it's whoever it the third Monterey one. This week, Monterey this the, week, and those were the only yeah. three that were mentioned. So anybody else that's fringe. Khalil Keith, like, how's he doing? Like, I don't know. Um, yeah. He didn't talk about him at all. Uh, didn't talk about Cole Maxwell. He just talked about those three that we mentioned. Uh, two of them could be back. Um, and Tay, Tay is not going to – Tay, I, who knows when we see him play again, right. I mean, at this point. Uh, he's he's obviously having some struggles with a concussion, and Aranda got deep into, like, just the general conversation about that, not about Tay specifically. Right. But it's uh, – a. Yeah, it's it's weird. That's he's struggling it's tough like to that. Hear. Yeah, you it is. It is. It feels it's, for him. You just yeah. you just hope he gets better. I mean, that's all you can really do at this point. Uh, Barracuda, would you agree? We pretty much have to make Tech one dimensional to win this game. In other words, we have to limit Brooks Thompson and their starting QB on the ground to force their young quarterbacks to make good throws. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's kind of what I've talked about. But I I think it needs to be more of Baylor is able to stop them from running the ball while doing the things they want to do to stop the pass. If that makes sense, like. They will give Tech some opportunities to run it, but they need to rely on their base defense going into this game to stop the run instead of having to put multiple guys in the box, if that makes sense. So it's kind of a, a give and take there, but yes, they, they need to slow down the run game for sure. We haven't seen blitzes really all season. Do you think we see a few here to pressure their QB and their really, really bad O-line? Texas Tech has given up about 12 sacks against K-State, Texas, and Oklahoma State. Yeah, I mean, in theory, that would be great. But they Baylor also, could sack the quarterback. <laughs> yeah, but the other part of it is they, they really want to be able to take away things in the pass game with their coverage as well. So it's going to be a give and take. I do think you'll see more blitzes here, especially you're playing a young quarterback. You would think that they would want to give him a little bit of pressure, something different to see. Um, we'll see, though. They haven't been able to get after the quarterback a whole lot this year. Uh, Alpha Needle, can you clarify the difference between a road game and neutral site game? <laughs> uh yeah, that was um, that was a fun little exchange last week. Kudos on the the Texas pick. Uh, as far as you were struggling on the road, I was clearly joking, and Alpha Needle is clearly a pot stirrer. So congratulations <laughs> on that, Yankee Bear. Do Craig and Reese have the same style of running? How are they similar, and how are they different? Yeah, I, I think Reese is. I mean, they're both very physical. Reese is a little bit bigger though, um, and they're both really fast, great explosiveness. I, I think they're actually very similar. Reese just a little bit bigger. Um, I would also say I, I think Squirrel's a little bit shiftier. Um, I, I think he's got a little more make you miss. 
uh, ability, but that's fully healthy squirrel, uh, not, yeah. not kind of what we've seen. And we've not really seen much of that. Yeah. Um, be great to see it this weekend. He looks For like sure. he could be on track to play, but yeah, he's a little more frail and um, silky smooth in the in the moves. But uh, Reese, he's been very impressive. Very uh, good. Very impressive young man, and uh, be great to see him rip off 180 this weekend. Uh, that'd go a long way. And it's possible, I think, against this tech defense to do Definitely. that. So him and Squirrel should be very good. And I, I think yeah. Quaylen has basically he deserves carries. He yeah. He moves oh no, he's gotten down. he's getting yeah. better every week. And he's just gotta he's got to they've all got to protect the yep. freaking football, man. If they just protect the football, they could be undefeated right yep. now. Yep. Um so yeah, that's that's got to be the main emphasis. But I, I like the running back room as it's evolving uh, and and taking shape. But yeah, just Craig's a, a little more specific, I think, in in his skill set. Uh, from what you observed, who are the vocal leaders of this team on offense and defense? Are we lacking true team leaders? Not a loaded question. Just curious. I mean, no, they they have leaders. I mean, Connor Galvin, Jacob Gall. I mean, those are guys up front. Grant Miller. I mean, they have a veteran group on the offensive line who are all vocal leaders. I think Shapin is still working his way into that. Obviously, he's still a young guy, so he's still trying to to get himself to that point where he's a true leader on this team. I think. Um, you know, I think single digit guys. You know, Squirrel Ben Sims. I think Eek is a. A, a leader. I Eco think the guys, the defense, you know, look yeah. up to him, and he's a bit probably more of the vocal guy. Dylan Doyle, for sure, yep. is probably one of the biggest leaders on this team as well. Um, Mark Milton, I know everyone respects him, and, and I know he hasn't played well this year, but he's definitely a leader too. So they have leaders on this team. It's just, I think it's more so about getting everyone to become leaders. Like, you can have a few leaders here and there, and that's great, but you need a culture of everyone is trying to be a leader on this team. Everyone's trying to become a leader eventually, and they need to get that kind of shaped up. And, I mean, Dave Aranda's kind of mentioned that, guys growing up and things like that. Yeah, it just feels like it's very segmented. They're not 100% all on board with one another as far as a team goes. Um, there's a split somewhere, and the thing with, like, last year is, like, not only did you have multiple multi-year senior players, but – like they were universally respected from top to bottom because they had been in the program for so long and it was like you had no choice but to respect Jalen Petrie or Terrell Bernard or JT Woods or whoever. And it's like everybody just kind of knew the deal and knew the drill. And all of a sudden there's this vacuum of leadership and there's other older guys trying to fill that. But then there's younger guys like, well, I don't you know listen you know, necessarily, yeah. but Jalen Petrie will tell them what's what and you know get down to it. But... That's not exactly the case, I think, with this team. There's a little bit of friction as far as that goes, and I think we've seen that play out. So that's just part of teams, you know. That's yeah. part of the deal. And Baylor's dynamic last year was just so successful because it was so unique and great because of just all the, the pieces involved. Definitely. Um, which side of the ball tends to improve more as the season wears on? We'll close this out here as far as the questions Yeah, it, it's typically the offense um, because most times when you're in fall camp and spring ball, the defense just dominates the offense, and that's usually been the case at Baylor as well, and it, it takes time for the offense to get to a point where it's as good as the defense. And I think we saw that last year too. You know, once Gary ran the football more, you started to see that offense take more shape and uh, be able to move the ball a little more effectively. Um, so who knows? Maybe we see that over the second half of the year as this offense really start to take form with Khalil Keith back, um, get Squirrel back out there, and maybe Blake Shapin starts to play better. Um, you could see that. You really could. I, I do think this offense, the best football is ahead of them. 
I do too. Um, I think that we've seen flashes of what they can be, but again, turnovers have have stopped us from being able to see what it could really look like, and injuries as well. You know, Monterey Baldwin going out last week and even returning, like, but he didn't catch a ball after that. He didn't take a handoff. At, like, them at their full complement, we're never going to see this year because Tay McWilliams is probably never going to be healthy enough, and that's a shame. But, man, if you start to put all the pieces together, it does look pretty cool. It's just that, again, there's five games to put it together now at this point, mm-hmm. and um, let's see them do it. Uh, they've got time to do it. They, they could get a – Big win this weekend. It would be a massive win this weekend Huge. in Lubbock if they could go and get it. They can do it. They can absolutely do it. They just can't panic in that atmosphere uh, or panic you know, the moment something goes wrong because I think the Joey McGuire and staff are going to be relying on them to do that and you know, obviously relying heavily on that home crowd to be a 12th man, so to speak, out there for them. Uh, all right, so appreciate the questions there uh, from everybody. And let's get into some Big 12 picks to close this thing on out. Let's do it. So the first one, 11 a.m. on ESPN, TCU, the number seven team in the country, travels to Morgantown to take on West Virginia. TCU is a seven and a half point favorite. Over under is 69 points. Um, TCU coming off the nice comeback win over Kansas State. West Virginia coming off the blowout loss to Texas Tech. Who you got? Uh, I'm going TCU without even a question here. Uh, Neil Brown's buyout's the only thing preventing him from really being fired, I think, at this point. Um, I like the guy. I think he's a swell coach, uh, but it's just they're just the same they've always been in, in Morgantown. Uh, JT Daniels or not, um, it's just the same song, different verse. Uh, they're fine. They're fine, um, but they're just not very good most of the time. And so, yeah, give me TCU, who's got a horseshoe uh, that they are carrying along in their back pocket or wherever you want to reference that horseshoe being. But it's there, and it's you know working in their favor right now. So, yeah, definitely TCU in this one. Yeah, I'm going to take TCU as well. I will say that West Virginia is much better at home than they have been on the road. Doesn't um, take away what I said about Neil Brown, mind it you. It doesn't. No, no, no. no. They, they, you got to play better at on the road and at home. And so I think TC will win this game, but I think it'll be pretty high scoring, something like 41 to 30, something along those lines. But I like TCU to get the win. Uh, Next up, 11 a.m. on FS1, Oklahoma travels to Ames to take on Iowa State. Um, Both teams coming off a bye, I believe. OU is a a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Over-under is 56 points. Yeah, I really don't know on this one. Um, If this is a part of our... Pickums on the radio show later this week. I'll need some time to digest this one because I, you know, normally I just go like Oklahoma, but I feel like Iowa State is just due for a win, man. Like they have been so close and knocking on the door, and they play everybody close. Like they're just a couple plays away from winning games right now. And being in Ames, like I'm very tempted to take Iowa State here, but having Dylan Gabriel back obviously makes a massive difference for OU. We saw that in their last outing against Kansas. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I guess I'll go. Oklahoma here, but I'm awfully tempted that Iowa State gets their first win um, in Big 12 play. Yeah, this is one of those games where I think the entire Big 12 wants Iowa State to lose this game because you don't want Iowa State to start getting momentum over the back half of the year and then start crushing dreams um, as the season goes on. Do if you're Baylor and you've already played them. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, Oklahoma's 4-1 and when Dylan Gabriel plays at least like what is it? A quarter and five minutes of a game um, is what it's at right now because he left early in that TCU game. So they've been good when he's been on the field. Um, oh man, this is a really tough one. Like you said, I'm gonna go with you know what you know what I'm gonna go with Iowa State here. I think I, 
Yeah, I think hey. Iowa State's going to beat them. I think it's going to be a really close game. I think it'll be something like 23-20. to 20. Um, I'll give Iowa State the win. This is going to be a really, really good game, though. I don't love their offense by any means, and that's what prevents them from being better. But their defense, like no matter what, just keeps them in games and keeps them close. So, yeah, I mean, I I could see Dylan Gabriel getting a little bit rattled up in Ames, Iowa, and things going sideways. Um, So, yeah, that's that's one I'll need to, before I make like an official pick later in the week, like have to look at that one some more. But, yeah, Iowa State makes a lot of sense. They really do. Yeah, because we haven't seen OU play a really, really good defense yet. Right. So I'm I'm a little cautious about that. Um, Next. Next up, 2.30 on Fox. Oklahoma State, the number nine team in the country, travels to Manhattan to take on the 22nd-ranked Kansas State Wildcats. Oklahoma State coming off the big win over Texas. Uh, Kansas State coming off of a disappointing loss to TCU in which they lost their quarterback and backup quarterback in the same game. Still almost, or at least had a chance to win that one. Kansas State is a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Over-under is 56 points. Yeah, this is a really tough game to call. I mean, credit to Oklahoma State on getting the win last week uh, against Quinn Ewers. Um, the wind, obviously, a, a yeah, little, you like that the pun there? Quinn Ewers. Um, that was, you know, you called that one as far as him getting rattled. I don't think you called the wind being as much of a factor, factor no. as it was. Like, that obviously came into play in that game. But uh, Oklahoma State's scrappy, man. I mean, if anything, they're scrappy. And Spencer Sanders, that was my only hesitation last week was, is he going to play or not? And he, he played. played well. And he played overall, he played well, and he made a difference. He made a major difference in that game. So, you know, had I known that for sure going in, probably would have defaulted to Oklahoma State, but that was just too much of a wild card, and you see how much he means to that team. Um, So having said all of that, uh, give me the healthy quarterback and the healthiest quarterback, and right now that is Spencer Sanders in Oklahoma State. Uh, Adrian Martinez I don't think is practicing yet. Now, granted, Will Howard looked plenty good enough to go and win that game, but – I don't know. I just don't love K-State right this very moment. I understand this is at home, um, so I, I get the whole going power cat here, but uh, I'm going to go f- with Oklahoma State to keep the uh, the good times rolling. Yeah, this is another really tough one for me. I, I thought that... Um you know, I thought that Oklahoma State would win last week. That, that road environment was kind of what I was banking on, and Quinn was very... It was a very tough day for him, and the win, like you said, definitely mattered for him. Um... You know, I, I think that Spencer Sanders is kind of peaking right now, and even though he's playing injured, I, I think they're still a really good football team. So I'm going to take them to win this, but I am, I am. This is a complete toss-up for me as well. I, I'm, I was telling the guys before. I thought I was going to take K State. The more I'm looking at, the more I'm like, I got to trust Spencer Sanders more than yeah. whoever's playing quarterback. At this for point, K-State. he deserves it. Yeah, he does. I think we've done that for like two years. We're like, yeah. well, if Spencer Sanders plays well, and we've right. done that, but now he's the most surefire quarterback in yeah. this game, even and I if think not 100%. they're the best team in the conference. I know yeah. they lost to TCU, but... I had somebody the other day, we were doing our picks, and they're like, um, you, sorry, uh, but I had somebody doing our picks the other day, and they're like, well, you guys are just picking the same teams. There's no parity. And it's like, because like there's a razor-thin margin. Yeah. It's like, you just you have to pick somebody, and it's like, it's so thin that it's just like, if we all end up on the same side, it's just pure coincidence. Right. It's not like there's like this Oklahoma State's just so much better. It's just like, I don't know, toss-up game, next one toss-up game, next one yeah. toss-up game. Like, they're all toss-up games. It's just sometimes we'll all end up on the same side. For sure. So, yeah, I'll go Oklahoma State here. Uh, I think it'll be something probably along the lines of uh, 31-24. I think it'll be a good game, but I, I, I'll take Oklahoma State to 
get it done. The final game on the slate, 6.30 p.m. ESPN 2. Baylor travels to Lubbock to take on Texas Tech. Uh, both these teams are 4-3, and 2-2 two and two in conference. Baylor coming off the win over Kansas. Tech coming off of uh, the complete demolishing of West Virginia. Uh, Tech is a 2.5-point favorite. The over-under is 62 points. Yeah, this game swung wildly after opening up with Baylor as a favorite, I believe. Like, within hours. I think it was like they opened up Plus as like... one. Uh, it, it might have been, yeah. yeah. I think it might have been higher than that, maybe. But thought, either way, it didn't last long. I thought it was minus one. I thought it... Eh. May, I, I, yeah. Dude, I'm not... I just know that Baylor started out as a slight as favorite, favorite okay. to start. And um, and then very quickly that flipped. And now, yeah, you've got it to where Tech is, is the favorite. Um, I mean, part of that just is, to me the number of Lubbock fans who are gamblers very clearly who just were like saw that and they were like, boom, no, we're taking the Red Raiders because of Saturday night and blackout and Patrick Mahomes and all that. And that's the only reason I'm taking them there. I don't think they're the better football team. I think they've got all the elements, though, in their favor. And I don't have enough. Like, if this was last year's Baylor team, I'm picking them 150% to go into Lubbock and, and get a win, and I'm not even doubting it for a single second. This year's team, I can't do that with them just yet. I think they're better. Um, not by a large margin because there's just too many things they do that kills themselves, and that's what I'm worried about in, in Lubbock, Texas, on a Saturday night with all of the stuff that I'm talking about. If they can block all that out and just play straight-up football, I like Baylor as the better team, but I think they are clearly affected by some of that other stuff, and that worries me, and so I go Tech as a slight favorite here. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said. I, I totally understand where that's coming from i mean they've been not great on the road and this is going to be the craziest road environment they've gone to this year even including that byu game which i know was a crazy environment as well um the one thing that i I keep going back to is the fact that baylor's played in these road environments this year and they've had opportunities to see it and maybe grow from it and maybe this is a point where it all comes together for them and they put together a great performance on the road in an environment that is very tough but For me, I'm going to go with the team that's better in the trenches. And to me, that travels. And so I think Baylor's going to have every opportunity to win this game. And I think they're going to win this game. Um, I like Baylor. I think they're going to run the football. They're going to win the time of possession. They're going to keep Tech off the field, keep that offense off the field. And I think you're finally going to sit back and say, wow, Baylor was the more physical team on this day, which... uh, You know, that's going to be tough against this Tech team, but uh, I like the Bears to get it done. I think they'll win at 38-34. Very close game, but I like the Bears. Yeah, I hope that's the case. I definitely could see it that way. I I think they are the better team overall, but, um, yeah, I gave my reasons why. Going and playing in Lubbock is is difficult, especially Saturday night and all that other jazz that comes with it. Now, that's the stuff they got to block out. That's the stuff that media and fans and we all dwell on and talk about and factor in, but they just got to go play football and – just cut out some of the mistakes, man. Just go play as a team and just play football and, you know, knock out all that other stuff and you'll be amazed by how much better life can be uh, out there. But ought to be interesting, uh, that's for sure. A lot of uh, great buildup and, um, yeah, a lot of talk uh, will be coming out of this one for certain, no matter what the result is. And uh, whatever that is, uh, we will be talking about it as well next week. Uh, anything before we go, Grayson? No, nothing uh, 
Nothing really. I mean, this is going to be a really fun week. I know everyone's been anticipating this one. I know how I have been. Um, there's been a lot of buildup for this matchup. So excited to see that. Of course, if you're not a Sikkim 365 Premium subscriber, please join. We have all kinds of football content, basketball content, women's basketball, uh, everything. Even Jack, we got soccer content as well from Jack McKenzie. So all kinds of stuff on the premium side. And of course, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6, uh, 365 Sports Radio will keep you up to date on every everything college football throughout the week yep a lot of uh, stuff going on right now so uh, head on over to the website of course check out 365 sports uh, on youtube as well each weekday three to six um, again just, uh, circling back a lot to to talk and uh, read uh, when it comes to this game and baylor athletics in general all across our various platforms so uh, for jacob and garrett behind the scenes uh, for grayson grunhafer i'm craig smoke and until next time it's been the bearcast on sikkim365.com and 365 sports